0: Welcome to the Blue Oasis podcast. This is the podcast for finding peace and prosperity, learning the history of hobbies, as well as developing a little side hustle. If you want to find peace and prosperity in your life, this is your show. Get ready. You're listening to the Blue Oasis podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rothstein. All right, let's get to the show. Okay and uh, welcome back to the Blue Oasis podcast. I am your host Adam Rothstein. With me today is Dave Combs. Dave how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you Adam?
0: I'm doing terrific. Uh, so uh, I'm glad you are on. Um, uh, so how did you start get your start in music?
1: Well, I guess kind of. I was born into it. (laughs) Um, I was born into a family that loved music. My mother and father both played the piano. My grandmother Combs, she was born in 1894, and she was an excellent musician. She played the piano and the pump organ by ear. She didn't read uh, music, but she could sure play the 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 old pump organ and she also loved to play an instrument called the auto harp it's a stringed instrument that has that just really sounds good and you can accompany yourself and so i grew up in a music family and uh, have been around music all my entire life Uh, although i did not write my first song until i was 34 years old rachel's song that i wrote was in 1981 and i was 34 years old before i really realized that Hey, I I could write music myself,
0: and and it's also, um, you know, and you don't. And Gary V didn't put out his first uh, piece of content until he was in his thirties. But it's the getting started part that just makes the ultimate difference in one's life.
1: Yeah, you you know you you look back on your life and you see certain things that. happened, or there were were intersections of events, and you think, wow, if I hadn't have been there at that particular time and met that particular person and did this particular thing, I would never have gone down this particular route of my career. And so there are those kind of intersecting events. Uh, Some of them are what we call defining moments that uh, that define where you are. And then there are threshold moments that I call, and threshold moments are ones where you come up to a, a decision point. And you have to decide am i going to go left or am i going to go right and so those are threshold am i going to go through this door or am i going to say no i'm not interested and so those are threshold moments and then the third category of moments that i like to talk about are what i call aha moments those are those big moments that come along not very frequently but when they do, it's one of those where the light bulb goes on and you say, oh, aha, I get it now. I know what I need to do or this thing could not have been an accident. I'm, I'm going this way. So that's kind of how I slice out the, the different moments and directions in your life. And so my life really changed when I wrote Rachel's song and because I, I had a career of technology. I was a computer programmer to start with and then in management and technology with AT&T, Western Electric and. You know, that was my life during the day. But music was always part of my life in the evenings, weekends, because I was around music at home and at church and family and so forth. So music's always been a big part of me.
0: And and have you ever thought about monetizing it, um, ever uh, producing a CD or a cassette back in the 80s?
1: Well, I had not originally planned to do that, but once I re- wrote Rachel's song and saw the reception that it got when it got recorded and played on the radio and thousands of people were clamoring for the music and I didn't have any, any way to sell it to them, that's when I had to create an album of music. And back then, it was the beginning of a CD. Uh, prior to that, it was cassette tapes. But I did a whole album, and by 1988, I had my first album of Rachel's Song. In fact, this is uh, the the album. It has the first six song, seven songs that I ever wrote on it, and it's just called Rachel's Song. And that was when I decided that, uh, you know, I have my MBA. I'm a, also a business person, so I appreciate business models and being able to monetize things and turn a hobby into a career kind of progression thing, and so... I saw immediately the, the the commercial value of my music by the fact that so many people wanted it. Well, that's kind of the definition of a business, right, when you have something that people want, especially if they're willing to pay for it. And so I created my albums and started down the path of figuring out how can I sell my music to people that want to buy it. And that's a, the the story of how I built my sales channel of selling my music, not in record stores or big commercial uh, department stores or anything like that, but through individual gift shops. You're probably familiar with these little tourist towns. When you walk into the town, you go in all these great little shops and you go in and it smells good. They've got, you know, scented candles burning. There's pretty music playing in the background. Everything looks good, smells good, and sounds good. So. I found that that was the environment that needed to play my music and consequently all the customers in the shop would be drawn to the music and want to buy it and take it home with them. And I ended up with over a thousand gift shops across the United States that played and sold my music to their customers. And that's when I was able to turn my my hobby or my music uh, avocation into a vocation and quit my job at AT AT&T and do music full-time. That was in 1992. I remember the day it happened. I met my boss at lunch and said, okay, here's my resignation letter, and I've been talking about my music part-time, and now I want to do it full-time. So from now on, I'm working for myself.
0: (laughs) I wasn't even born in 1992. I think that should tell you a little (laughs) bit about my age. Well, that's all right. Um. Uh, I oh, there were. Uh, I'm a, a part of the uh, Nomad Network. That's uh, Jason Stapleton's uh, network, and you know he's talked about this the entire time of just uh, controlling the source of your income and getting things and making some money out of your hobby or and getting a side hustle going. Um, it when you, you first began uh did you uh how did you uh advertise uh so you definitely sorry a little nervous here uh so you sold so you bought advertising space in the gift shops of these museums and tourist towns
1: well no not exactly i really have never bought except for one exception and that's another whole story i have never really purchased advertising The gift shops were playing music, many of them were playing music anyway, and they weren't selling it. Now, this is back in the uh, mid-80s, late 80s. And so the, the phenomenon now where you go in any kind of a store, there's almost whatever music's playing, they have a kiosk with the music for sale, like in Cracker Barrel or wherever you are, there's music for sale. Back then, that was not the case. And so I would go in and simply approach the owner of the gift shop as being a business person and ask them a simple question was, do people ever ask you about the music you play in your shop? Do they ever say, I'd like to buy that and take it home with me? And often, even those that did not sell music yet would say, well, yeah, now that you mention it, uh, that that does happen uh, a lot. And I said, well, you know, I'd be happy to, Sell you some of my CDs and cassette tapes back then at wholesale and you can make a good profit on them because I think it was all, they almost doubled the money. They made more money on them than I did on a per unit basis. So I said, I'll, I'll sell them to you at wholesale and you play the music. And when they ask for the, the album, just have it in a basket right by the cash register and just say, well, sure, right here's that album. Here, I'll add that to your ticket and take it home well that's that worked that really did work. It wasn't a flashy you know big display of my music or anything. It was simply the what sold it was their ears. they heard it they they liked what they heard and had to take it home with them. They wanted to hear it again, and so that was the driving force for having the music for sale as an impulse item next to the cash register and that I had over a thousand gift shops that sold and played my music that way and I made a very good living doing that and I was one of the first few people in the country to recognize that as a sales channel for music now they call it the play and sell market well me and about two other musicians invented that sales channel back in the 80s and then everybody else the big guys discovered the success of my channel and started doing it too but I I was already there so I I, I had a, a jump start on them Yeah
0: 100%. Now today uh you have iTunes, you have Spotify, you have uh those little samples of 1 minute. Um I've produced several audiobooks and and you have to give that little sample for mm-hmm. your potential audience to pick it up.
1: Um, yeah I did an audio you know my book touched by the music I recorded the uh, the audio track for all of that i I was spent about 30 hours I guess here in my studio recording the audio and it's it takes it's about an eight hour recording for the entire book but I did the narration myself so I'm very familiar with the, all of these the specs that you got to be within for the levels of the sound and running it through the ACX uh, laboratory testing and and you won't believe this, but a lot of people have had a lot of trouble getting their audio approved by ACX. I ran all mine through their thing chapter by chapter and I kept my levels just right. I'm in a soundproof room. No, my, the, the background noise level is very low. And so I ran it through and they accepted my audio book first time through. No errors, no, no suggestions for any change whatsoever.
0: I have uh, produced several audio books through ACX and the first time uh, getting growing the game, uh, which was my (laughs) first audio book about baseball. um, I was struggling. It's like, Oh my God, why is this so hard? And, (laughs) and, and it was, uh, and then, and now I have like the ACX tool um, installed in audacity. I, Mm -hmm. I even made a YouTube video about this, which got, over two hundred views, and I'm like, yes, someone's actually picking it up too. Yeah. Because it, it was very frustrating, and and from there, I actually put a PDF uh, on uh, PDF sign up for my email list to actually help new newer clients uh, get their audiobooks approved on ACX. So very simple PDF, mm-hmm. uh, ready to go.
1: Well, I had a lot of experience in the studio, obviously, with I have fifteen albums of music. I've recorded over one hundred and seventy songs. So I've spent many hours and days and weeks in a recording studio. so I know all about the the levels and the eQ and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of second nature. and i I knew what ACX was looking for, and I knew how to stay within their specs and And I, for example, I would went back through with the editor anytime I saw a lip pop. Even on the uh, the recording, you know, where you when you, as soon as you open your lips, if you have a sensitive microphone, that little pop of the separation of your lips will show up on the recording. I went through and you know deleted all those out, so it was as clean as it could be.
0: Uh I yeah the p yeah I call that the p pop like with Pittsburgh Pirates, yeah like, like that's the main standard. Uh, like mm-hmm. and if there's a little uh, hiccup in the segment like i'll see it and then i just come from the side of the microphone and then say pittsburgh pirates and and it sounds a little different so um skillshare.com is definitely uh um a good resource as well Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. have you been on skillshare.com as well
1: i don't think so i don't believe i have
0: um uh, I did a whole pretty- lot of
1: I may have cuz I before I did my audiobook I went on YouTube and I I looked at all the how-tos that I could find on make sure I knew how to do it right. Uh com is a great resource um
0: as well. Um uh have you ever taught anyone how to play the piano? Uh
1: let's see. Have I taught anyone? Not I don't not that I can recall um <laughs> I've had several people that I, I, I've tried to steer them away from where they were headed with their their lessons on piano because you know, there's two kinds of music teachers that I have found, and there are, I guess, two kinds of students. And if you get a mismatch on those, it's not good. The student that wants to learn the classical play, how to play a piano by this, right by the music, and that's it. A, there are teachers, many teachers, that that's what they teach. They, you, you stay by the pl- lesson plan in the book, and you don't deviate from it. And then there's the other student that I absolutely love to find one, and that is the kid that sits down at the piano and looks around. And there's nobody watching, and he just goes and tires loose on whatever he wants he or she wants to play on the piano. You know They're learning chords, and they're learning this, and they kind of teach themselves what sounds good they learned chords and chord progressions and and that's how I learned I, I took piano lessons and did the you know the standard uh, Sham series I think it was I went up through I don't know book 5 or 6 but then beyond that I kind of taught myself by being around other musicians and experimenting and playing and being my father played by ear my grandmother played by ear so I knew that that was something that was that's what I wanted to do was to not have to be stuck to a sheet of music I wanted to be able to improvise and do my own thing. And so that's when you have a student that has that proclivity that says that I wanted to learn. I just want to learn how to make pretty music. I love talking to those kind of students and and showing them how to learn chords and a real fast way to sound sound pretty good on the piano, even though you hadn't had years and years and years of lessons. But if you have a mismatch on those teachers and the students, you've got a, a classically trained and and teacher that wants to stick by the book and you got a student that doesn't that's like oil and water you know it's just not going to work and and oftentimes those students get ruined by the discouragement from their teacher saying i don't want you deviating from the music you know don't do that that's not right blah 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 that's not right in my mind that discouragement of a musician from ex- experimenting and improv- improvising is is really not good for the student so I, I would <laughs> I have not been a, I am not a piano music teacher, but I sure can appreciate the the difference in, in the kind of teachers and the kinds of students. And I feel pretty passionately about if you find a student that does not necessarily want to go by the book, but wants to play, I say, go play and I'll help you any way I can. I have a cousin that he, he want he wanted to do that. I had two copies of an old book that was written in the 1920s about chords and chord structure and all that. I mailed it to him. I said, okay, now if you promise me, you will take this to heart and practice. I'll give you this book because it really was the book that helped me. And so he said, I will do it. So i mailed him this book and I hope that he takes it to heart and and does that. So that's the, that's the two approaches to piano music. I'll get off my soapbox now.
0: (laughs) Uh, Um. I was in special ed. I was not um, the, I, I mean, like I still managed to get a three, five in senior year and play hockey, <laughs> but, but it, but, you know, you don't, no one comes up the same way with education, whether that's music school or sports, It, mm-hmm. it you know, we all need a different amount of times on certain things. Can you move on? Uh, from this subject and go on to another one can can you find a different approach and and there's many ways to learn information, and there's no one set way uh to do it uh in school. Um, I certainly appreciate YouTube. it has taught me a lot whether it's mm-hmm. with uh, crypto audiobooks, how to actually film a YouTube video um mm-hmm. and get the thumbnails right. Um I I do see um more skillshare.com dot com, more YouTube, more um more people buying actual educational software uh uh to teach people in the future and and I do see an educational revolution happening Certainly, I've been seeing it in the business world, whether it's with uh, Dean Graziosi, Pat Flynn, or my mentor, Jason Stapleton. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's definitely been quite an excitement.
1: Well, it, it is totally amazing the amount of instruction and information that you can get for free off of YouTube and the other uh, social media these days, because you can... You can learn how to do just about anything and, and, and watch the best people in the world at it. You know, I, I'm not a great guitarist, but I love guitar music. And there's a gentleman that has a YouTube channel. His name is Rick Beato. He is a fabulous music teacher. I love his episodes. He is he's such a great, he, he can hear a song and replicate it himself in just an instant. He's one of those talents that hears it and plays it, you know, kind of thing. I love to watch him, and I, you know, there's other YouTube videos that are just so entertaining and educational, and at the same time, that, and I, and I often wonder, you know, I've I've not ventured into creating my own YouTube uh, videos to speak of, but I've often thought about, well, I don't know, would it be useful to to sit down at the piano and just spend a, a half an hour telling people, you know, how I learned to play the piano and and just talk about the song, the early songs that I learned, how to learn chords and, and that kind of thing to see if that would resonate with, with some people that were interested. <laughs> I have some, some of my fans over the years uh, that have bought uh, my music. And by the way, I, I do have piano music books for 11 of my albums. I've transcribed the note for note. They can play exactly what's played on the album. But I had people that wrote to me, <laughs> elderly people. I'm in my 60s and I've always wanted to play the piano. I heard your Rachel song and now I went out last week and I bought a piano. And my goal is by this time next year, I want to sit down and play Rachel's song. And so I guess, you know, it does music does inspire people to regenerate their creativity. And it's never too late. It's never too late to start to. To create and do things, you know, just look at Grandma Moses, the painter. I think she she was way up there before she even started painting, and uh, there are lots of examples of folks that are in their senior years before they even started painting. You know, even President George W. Bush. He's look at his paintings. He's he's published painting books now, and he he's discovered a, a gift that he he probably never knew he had. So it's uh, it's never too late to start.
0: Indeed, it's it's never too late to start. Uh, there is a woman who was a coder, a programmer rather, and she wanted to do a side hustle. And, and now she's got 500 sub- YouTube subscribers. I'm at 118, 119, <laughs> 120. And I'm like, how did she do that? Yeah. So, uh, but it's like, it's the model. It's It's just her showing off her work and teaching people how to do it because she's built up, so much knowledge uh, from the 80s and onward. And and when you get really good at your craft, when you can show people how to do something, they will come back.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, I talk a lot about, even though my, my main subject, obviously, is music and, and, the, and my music and my book about my music. But quite often, I get the things that are in my book about how I built my music book my, my music business are applicable to any kind of entrepreneurial business, whether it's uh, any kind of, uh, writing sports, uh, any, uh, creative product or even a, 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 a commercial product of some kind. There are certain principles that apply no matter, no matter what the product is, you have to, for number one, have a good product. In my case, you have to have a good song, a good, good piece of music. And then number two, you have to find out, is it something that people really are drawn to that, that other people might want to know about? And if so, then you find out, well, who are those people and where are they? You do some research to the demographics and geographics of your cust- potential customer base. And then you figure out ne- next, well, OK, how is the best way to reach those people? Do they do things online? Do they things they have to go to the, a physical store to get it or is it? You know, is it something visual or just audible, audio or or both? So you figure out how to reach your customers and then you find out how many, how could I implement some of those ways? And then you look and say, well, now I've tried this five different ways. Four of them didn't work at all, but this one worked pretty well. So you take that model that you know on a small scale worked and then you duplicate it. That's and that is the model for building and growing a business or turning a hobby into a, 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 a an income, an earning income. That's exactly what I did. I found that one little gift shop that played and sold sold my music, and I just duplicated the heck out of it and found and got it into over a thousand. Very simple. And,
0: oh, and, and we will, and I definitely see that we're going to be going into, um a digital revolution um, certainly with NFTs, um, whether it's digital art and even music too, we're going to be going into this uh, way and, and we're going to sell these albums and you're not going to need you're it's, you're almost not going to need a middleman in mm-hmm. the future. Um, how familiar are you with NFTs?
1: I know what uh, non-fungible, uh, uh tokens are, but I have to confess that I've tried to read about it, but I still do not understand, because I've really, when I see something like that, I try to think, oh, how does that, how could I apply that to my music business? I know they talk about art, you know, physical art a lot, and somebody buys an NFT of a some famous painting or some creation of a, a, a emoji or something, and they sell it for a lot of money. But I have not, I do not understand how that would apply to me and my creation of my music.
0: Um there was a girl that I saw on Open Seas, and this is the blockchain for selling music and and you and there's an option that you can sell it as an MP3 file and then just have a little artwork with it. Um this I do see that competing with iTunes and Spotify in the future um and and it is good to have that knowledge of coding uh in ethereum and 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 it's just another way to make money too but but i mean i like it i i like you know learning about this stuff it it is it is difficult to learn um whether it's the code or just the concept but uh we in some ways, I mean, an audiobook and even a, a digital file, such as um, an MP3 file from iTunes, is in a way an NFT.
1: That's right, because the people that purchase it are buying a perfect copy of the original because it's a digital copy. There is no difference in quality from the MP3 you download to the MP3 that I create. But the thing is that you don't buy the rights. You do not own the intellectual property to that MP3. You have the right to play it for your own enjoyment, but you don't have the right to turn around and resell it to somebody else because that's, that belongs to me as the copyright owner.
0: And with smart contracts, uh, you can definitely limit uh, the amount of a collection or how many uh, pieces of the item you want to sell and, and you can grant access to something as well. And if, and you could be like, if I bought, if you bought this music track, um, you get a special event, you get to go to the special event happening on X day or something like that. It's.
1: Oh, okay. So you tie two things together.
0: Yeah. It's an added bonus. Um, the Mickey Mantle NFT was sold recently. I think it was sold for like $4,000. And, and to the person who bought it, actually got to have an interview with Mickey Mantle's sons. And, and, um, and, and uh, he definitely uh, recorded it and saved it for himself. And, and, uh, and I'd say like, I, I mean, I would have paid the top dollar if, if I could afford it, but for that, and, <laughs> but, uh, I can't at the moment. Uh, but, but, uh, hats off to the guy who, who did it too. Um, definitely, definitely something to think about for the future.
1: Yeah, I, I will, it's, it's on my bucket list of things to, to stay on top of. Cause they, you, you know, when, when, uh, iTunes came along. I I jumped onto that as quick as I knew about it. And the same thing with Pandora. I I loved the, you know, being a technical person, I loved the business model of Pandora where I found out that they were basically doing what they called the DNA of the music. They took a song and they analyzed it with, I think it's a two or 300 parameters. You know, what key is it in, what uh, instruments are used, what tempo, and I don't know what all else, but it, it's it's basically doing a DNA, if you think of it that way, of the song. So when they finished, they had my the, Rachel's song, the DNA, and then they did a bunch of other people's songs. And what they could do then is they could say, what songs have similar DNA to Rachel's song? And they're all, let's put them in a playlist. So when you say, uh, all right, uh, on uh, Pandora, Play uh, Rachel's song by Gary Prim, and it'll play that. And the next song coming on will not necessarily be one of mine, it'll be, you know, a Lori Lyon or or somebody else, some other artist that has a song that is in the similar style of Rachel's song. And so that was that really intrigued me because they did not uh, uh, wait a heavily popular artist. As opposed to a song that they, they looked at the music, the, the raw music and the appeal of the music, and so I was very fortunate that my music then, if it were fortunate enough to be similar to a very popular, a Yanni or you know some really popular artist that got a lot of play, then my song got they play their song and then maybe my song comes up right next, so and I, and it's it's getting thrown in a playlist that associates you with other artists that you would never otherwise have been associated with. So that was a very big positive for me. And even it still is today. And I believe that uh, the Apple music kind of works the same way. If you say play John Denver music, you're going to hear John Denver, but you're going to hear some other artists that sound and have the similar uh, kind of genre of, of John Denver, for example. And so I like that because it's it's uh it takes the exclusivity some of the exclusivity out of the the music so that the little guy has a chance to to be right alongside the big guy.
0: Absolutely. And with United Masters um you can actually publish your own original song uh and have 90% royalties and uh, 10% uh, goes to the guys upstairs and uh and and get it out there too on on a similar playlist like spotify and 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 just that exposure can get you some Mm -hmm. royalties um Mm -hmm. i've definitely uh uh produced a, a course on this and um and i've learned a little bit about this and and i know now don't do not publish just simple audio uh it actually needs to be a song too i will disclose that uh when going to united masters but if you have the music um i will definitely recommend uh just give it a shot because you know you know a few dollars is better than nothing and mm-hmm. and and just getting it out there i mean i mean you definitely can affect uh, have a positive effect on someone and and there was this um there there's this one song called starlight brigade um it's more of an edm uh techno music Uh um and and i saw the animation to this music video and i'm like that's incredible too like because because you know you know we didn't um, I don't know if you're familiar with the early days of YouTube. There, there was this one video called "Chocolate Rain," and and the guy was singing it, and and it was and uh, it went viral on YouTube. And and you don't know what song is going to be the next big song. I mean, look at Gangnam Style as well. It, I mean, I mean, you know putting the things out there. Um, it's not a guaranteed, but like Wayne Gretzky said, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take.
1: Yep. That's right. Well, fortunately I've, I've got over a hundred I've recorded over 170 songs. They're all out there on Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple music, every stra- streaming media you can imagine. And I've done that mainly through, uh, the CD Baby affiliation that has helped me over the years, but uh, but it, the the problem is that the streaming revenue is so small per play. It is in my case, I I get reports every month from my royalty checks of how what's been played, how many times, and it'll you know some songs will be played thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and it's just a few dollars of re, of revenue. It's point two on for me. Average point two pennies, point two cents per per stream. That's a tiny fraction for a, playing a song, and it takes millions of times to play to for to run up any kind of significant income from the streaming.
0: Yeah, so you run it two times. That's two. You run it ten times. That's two cents. Point two times ten is yeah, yes, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Just move two cents for point. ten plays. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And then just yeah, and, and then just go about it. It, it it's it's difficult to think about in the it, like doing decimals sometimes, yeah um uh yeah and and um you can definitely attack um you know set up uh with United Masters, you can set up and have it delivered straight to your paypal um uh with when it comes to. Um, do you have a uh, preference of what you listen to? Just curious. Uh, Spotify, Pandora,
1: uh, either one, and or Apple Music. I have, I have my Apple Pod speakers. I mean, yeah, you know, upstairs. I also have a a Alexa, one of those boxes that I can play. And, you know, I'll sit down at the piano and I'll just I'll have a a mood and say, all right, play me some Henry Mancini music and boom, it'll it'll play something or 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 like I play John Denver or play, uh, you know, uh, anybody uh, that I can think of that Roger Williams piano music or, you know, if I want to hear some of the 60s uh, kind of uh, doo-wop music, I can pick up some of those. I love to play along with those. Those are so fun to play because the chord progression on those is always, you know, it's a, it's a one, six minor, four five chord progression, uh, on 99% of them. And so you can, once you figure out what key they're in, you can sit on the piano and play right along with them. So, but that's, uh, I love to play really all, all genres. I love jazz. I, I cannot play jazz. I say I cannot, I, I, I'm not a very good jazz musician. I love to listen to jazz and I love guitar music, I love piano music, I love orchestra, I love uh, choral music, I love a cappella music, I love that TV show uh, that was on, I forget what the name of it was, it was all the a cappella groups that sang. Oh, oh, oh Glee? Uh, no, not Glee, that's the, the show, but this is uh, this was a, a week, weekly program that was on television for a while, that uh, Pentatonics came out of that, for example, they were the group that, that really were... <laughs> they really made made put them on the map but uh I, so i love all kinds of music and um, i listen to lots of music
0: um yeah so and there's never now on the apps uh learning apps uh you've never have you ever discovered um a learning app uh that you liked um for piano anything
1: not particularly. I've I've looked at a lot of those that you know that advertise. You know, you know, learn to play the piano in six weeks or whatever. The 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 piano man or the piano guy or whatever. And those those are fine because they're basically trying to teach the same way that I was talking about a while ago. You teach somebody what a, how to do a C chord and an F chord and a G chord and on the do that with your left hand and play a melody in your right hand and you're you're playing a song. So. But uh, I've really I haven't really paid much attention to those because I've been more concentrating on creating my own music and and arranging and transcribing the music that I already have.
0: hundred percent. Anything else you want to say before?
1: well, uh, I just yeah. want to make sure that your listeners, uh, hopefully will try to find, go, go and find my music and go to my website, which is com, And I have all my music is there and lots of them have samples that you can listen to. And uh, when you go to my home page, you'll see on the, l- the left hand side of the page, you'll see my book here, just like on to my left. And on the other side of the, uh, the page, you'll see, rachel's song cd and so you go to either of those and you can find my book or my music and i would would sure hope that people would be encouraged to find rachel's song and either listen to it on streaming or download it from itunes or apple music or amazon music and have it on your phone yourself because you're i have a feeling you if you listen to rachel's song you're going to want to hear it more than one time so put it on your phone or your iPad or your computer and and listen to it, and then go to my book. <clears throat> my book is full of these stories about how I built my music, starting from the writing of Rachel's song, to the the fifteen albums and how I did my created my market with the gift shops, and uh, all of that. Those stories are in there. So I would encourage people to to pick it up and read it. I'm told that it's a a page turner. Some of people have really unable to put it down and and if you like audio books uh it's available as an audio book as well on audible on amazon and in kindle so either way
0: 100 um yeah be sure to send me the uh, links to those i'll be sure to put them in the show notes um, okay uh, and uh, everyone uh please be sure to rate this podcast um share it everywhere five stars if you think it's worth it and uh and i think that'll do it um anything else or you good
1: okay i'm good and i really appreciate your time adam it's been a fun fun discussion i hope we didn't get too technical for two for folks but uh as you can tell i i like talking about technical things as well so <laughs> as well as my music
0: a hundred percent all right uh, i'll stop this and uh and also uh everyone um Stay safe, stay great, and I'll talk to you all in the next episode.